Hi, this is Sav. This is Katie. And this is Michael from The Accidentals. And you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with Jay Gilbert and Michael Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Atwood Magazine, respect is a well from which everyone can drink. The Accidentals Sav Beist on sexism in the music industry. From Digital Music News, is the music industry wasting money on viral artists? People are signing these artists and they're screeching to a red light. And for Music Business Worldwide, a Music Business Worldwide reader just blew open the Spotify fake artist's story. Here's what they have to say. Woo! A lot of good stuff to talk about today. Welcome to the Your Morning Coffee podcast. This happens to be episode 86. So please sit down. Please relax. Get one of your favorite beverages and get ready because here we go. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. On the air. On the air. On the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Mr. Jay Gilbert, it is so good to see you. Ah, good to see you, my friend. I know you have your bags packed. I You're do. Out of town. I do. I'm ready to go. I'm going to leave right after we have this conversation, head over to the airport and meet up with my longtime business partner, Jeff Mosco. We're going to head to Portland, Oregon. We're going to spend a little time with Terry Courier from Music Millennium, one of my favorite record stores oh, on the planet. Yeah. Love that place. Love Terry. He's the consummate music fan as well as owning uh, Music Millennium. If you haven't been to that record store in Portland, Oregon, it is fantastic. Seen a lot of great in-stores and bought a lot of uh, music there. I've known uh, I've known Terry for decades. And uh, then we're going to go see a show on Sunday night, and then we're going to head back uh, early Monday morning. So it's just a quick trip. That sounds really fun. And by the way, I was watching you, UJ Gilbert, on your YouTube webinar, How to Turn YouTube Uploads into Growth Drivers, the Vibrate. Uh, yeah. It was really interesting. I, I, I decided it really should have been called How to Tame the Monster <laughs> because so much good information there about, about the beast of the business, right? Yeah. YouTube is the beast. Yeah, and it's really more about optimization and not trying yeah. to game the system. No, 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 no. Of you know? not. And so Absolutely. we focused... Uh, a lot on, you know, what YouTube is now and how you can use it to kind of grow your career. And I was really fortunate um, to be joined by the director of user-generated content and video over at Symphonic. His name is Steve Lewis. 
And, mm -hmm. you know, he's a producer, musician, as well as working for Symphonic. And, you know, uh, just a super sharp guy. And uh, we walk through some of the things that we like to do with YouTube, you know, throughout a release cycle, the different types of videos and different things that you can do there. So, yeah, thanks for mentioning that. That's called How to Turn Your YouTube Uploads into Growth Drivers. It's on, it's on YouTube, as a matter of fact, and that was... Uh, sponsored by uh, data platform Vibrate, uh, which we love. So thank you for that. Oh, it was great. Well, they get it. You know, it's it is to have that sort of resource free. You know, and just listen to some some professionals in the business talk about how to do certain things. It's like super awesome, and we we just live in fantastic times. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a great resource, man. It's a great resource. By the way, the guy who provides so many great resources is none other. Than the 43rd hardest working man in show business, Mr. Jay Gilbert. He is the co founder of music marketing and strategy company Label Logic, curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, from which we pull everything that we do here at the podcast, and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music Groups, and also Fox Home Entertainment. For yeah, crying out yeah. Loud. I moved up a couple of slots. Thank you for that. Um, sure, and sure. my, my, uh, my uh, longtime friend and co-host, uh, co-conspirator is Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. Yeah, and the SST book is coming out pretty soon. Ah, I can't I wait. I'm going to pre-order it. Yeah, I can hardly wait to, to read about the company that I started my so-called career in. Uh, Jay, without the wonderful sponsors, it would be very difficult to do this show. It sure so would. We, so we say yeah. we, thank, we thank them profusely. Yes, let me give a big shout-out and thank you to the Music Business Association. Uh, their four-day Music Biz 2022 conference agenda has been announced, and the conference is taking place May 9th through 12th at the JW Marriott in Nashville. And I will be there, and I will uh, hope that you come too. Along with returning favorites like the Metadata Summit, Next Gen Now, DSP Workshops, which are super cool, uh, and Brand Summit, just to name a few, You'll find timely new additions for 2022, including conversations on NFTs, non-fungible tokens, uh, gaming and immersive music experiences, catalog acquisitions, and much, much more. Just visit musicbiz.org for more info. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Hey, let's talk about Bands in Town. Over 65 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Huge thanks, Music Business Association, Hypebot, Bands in Town. Boy, we sure appreciate it. Yeah, we sure do. We certainly do. Well, Mr. Gilbert, what do you say we jump into some of these stories? Let's do it. And uh, boy, the first one is absolutely. Uh, we sh it's we should shout it from the mountaintops. It's yeah. it's a really great article. It's from Atwood Magazine, and the title of the article is "Respect Is a Well from Which Everyone Can Drink." And this is your friends, the Accidentals, Sav Beist, talking about sexism in the music industry. Yeah, this could be a book. Um, but it is an yes. article, 
and uh, I've had the pleasure of working with Sav, Katie, Michael, Amber, the whole team over there uh, with the Accidentals for right around five years, I think. And uh, I've watched them grow. Um, they're incredibly talented musicians, uh, singers, songwriters. And I've just watched their music evolve over the years. And, and uh, they're probably my favorite band on the planet. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to uh, get to, to work with these guys. And I've seen a, a lot of what they're talking about for years. And I know you have too you know, the sexism in the, in the music industry, just the way that females are treated in general, you know, the, Hey, sweetie, you know, Oh, or you, you play well for a girl, you know, that, that sort of crap. And, um, I've also heard stories, you know, just from being around the accidentals and other, uh, female artists, it's, it's really, really challenging. And it, uh, it's important that we talk about these difficult conversations um, to make sure that we, uh, you know, shine a light on them. And so hopefully uh, it becomes less and eventually women are treated just like uh, men and that it's, you know, it's based on their character and the quality of their, <clears throat> their work uh, as opposed to their gender. Um, this Woman's History Month, Atwood Magazine invited artists to participate in a series of short essays in observance of Women's History Month. And, uh, and in celebration of it, uh, the submission this, this week came from Sav Beist uh, from the Nashville-based trio, uh, The Accidentals. And you and I talked before we hit record about, you know, when you're working with female artists, and let's say you go to a, a venue and you're loading in and maybe a, a sound engineer or someone from the venue will... You know, they'll approach Michael, who's the male in the band, as opposed to, you know, Sav or Katie. Or, you know, they'll be dismissive of their manager um, because she's female. And what I find hilarious is that their manager knows more about the business than most of those people that she comes in contact with. You know, she's a very talented, you know, sound engineer and a very savvy marketer and... uh you know, this is a band that was playing over 200 dates a year pre-COVID. You know, th- they know what they're doing. Well, yeah, and it, 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 you know, the article kind of starts off them sort of telling their story. And it's really interesting and inspirational, actually, because, you know, they were very young when they were originally signed. And, and these are, are super talented kids at the time who were literally in high school doing a lot of these gigs and stuff. And then they, it, it really kind of, uh, tracks their experiences from basically getting out of high school and starting in the music business. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's, listen, it's wonderful that, it, and it's essentially how they have basically kind of taken control of their own careers, yeah. you know, very proactively. And so again, it's very uh, inspirational in that sense, but it is, it's just distressing to kind of read the, yeah. the, considerable bumps in the road along the way that they had to deal with. Yeah. And, and they don't say that, uh, you know, all, uh, you know, all men are like that, but they do point out that, you know, they've worked, for example, in the article, they talk about two producers uh, that they talked or they worked with and one treated them one way and another treated them, you know, uh, the other. And, I, and I'll read you a little excerpt from this. It said, you know, eventually these two shy, nerdy humans ages 16 and 17 find themselves bouncing between two different studios during spring break with two different producers. 
The first producer looks him up and down, then turns to his hired session players, a drummer and a bassist, and says, well, we'll start with scratch tracks. No doubt we'll need to replace them later. Yikes. Uh, he, <laughs> he glances between both parties are exchanged. The one wearing the baggy sweatshirt sets her mind to it, unpacks her guitar, and gets behind the beat-up mic to play one of the first five songs she's ever written. The first take is a keeper. The drummer and the bassist are ecstatic. The producer's dismissiveness, a thinly veiled act of sexism and ageism, falters for a moment, then he doubles down. The drummer and bassist, however, insist that he's put better microphones on the guitar and starts getting real takes. Begrudgingly, the producer gets up and makes it happen. This would be a foreshadowing of those early years. And then they go on to talk about how the next producer, you know, had already heard the music, immediately greets them with a handshake, sets up a microphone that looks like a spaceship, you know, uh, some worth the cost of their tuition. And then they get to work. He listens, he produces, he teaches. The respect is mutual, bringing a generational gap, um, bridging, I'm sorry, bridging a generational gap, proving that it's possible. This would also be a foreshadowing of the years to come. Yeah, my gosh, you know, you just and listen. All artists have similar stories like this, but it's it's particularly you know amplified, unfortunately, with female artists, and it's very very sad. She says in the article, our friend Beth Nielsen Chapman says creativity is like oxygen, in that anyone can breathe it, that it's a human right. And that really is is something that should be kind of screamed from the mountaintops, right? Yeah. You know, and 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 I I saw it back in the in the gosh in the early eighties, one of the first bands I was playing with when I was in college, we had a, a female drummer, really talented woman drummer who's fun and great and and just one of the gang in a band, you know, you, bands are like families. And I would see that time and time again. You know, you'd show up to a gig and the sound man would be dismissive and you know, hey, let me show you how to get a good sound out of those drums. It's like Wait a minute. Have you heard her play? <laughs> why are you why are you not worried about my keyboard, right. you know? It's just it it's like you said you've seen it with them time and time again, but I've certainly seen it going back decades. Yeah. And I I'd like to think we're getting better. Um but I you still see it all the time. And you know, yeah. we both Jay and I are, are fathers of two daughters and you know, we want it to be better for everyone, but especially for our daughters. Yeah, so I had mentioned this story to you how uh, you know, my my youngest uh, was a sprinter in high school and even made it to the Junior Olympics. But uh, we overheard some boys in the neighborhood talking to each other. And one of them said, you run like a girl. You know, my daughter said, you wish you ran like a girl. Please. <laughs> and, you know, Good for you know, Sav mentions in this article that they noticed a pattern, you know, as they toured more um, that these engineers, you know, like none of them were really women. She said, in fact, yeah. most of them were men who wore grim facial expressions or badly concealed eye rolls when they saw us lugging our instruments through the venue doors. The questions were oftentimes humiliating. Do you know how to use that? Or uh, do you know what a DI is? You know, I mean, it it must be frustrating to be uh, treated like that and mansplained like that. And... Uh, Frankly, these these musicians in this band are are more experienced than most musicians that I've worked with, even at the you know filling up arena level, um, because they've done so much of this themselves. When they were doing yeah. so many dates, they were loading in their equipment, setting up their equipment. You know, they know how to mix sound. They know how to get you know their vocal harmonies balanced, and um, yeah, it's. 
it's challenging. I've worked with other female artists, um, like Orianthi, you know, who's a, mm -hmm. an amazing guitar player. Um, not for a girl. She's an amazing guitar player. And I would right. always hear people say, ah, oh, you know, she's great for a, you know, for a woman or for a girl. And it's like, what does that have to do with anything? Oh, I, I, yeah. It, it, <clears throat> like I said, I, I know we're getting better, but it's, we've got a long way to go. And uh, yeah. this article really brings it to light and talks. And again, these these uh, these players in in the band started so young, and yeah. so they've you know. And it's kind of also about their just their maturity and their 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 understanding of the business as they kind of got a little bit older. And they're still young people now. Are they even they're in their mid twenties, yeah. give or take? Is yeah. That, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, but um. You know, it's kind of about their progress and their process of of just learning how the industry works and and basically how to get the hell out of bad deals that they got into as young people. Yeah, and, I've noticed that the music industry in in general over the years has become uh, more female, um, mm -hmm. which is I think a really uh, good thing. Um, so it's not just you know the people in the venues, you know, let's say the club owners or the sound engineers or you know, some of these producers that this has been an issue with uh, for Sav and Katie, but their first production deal, um, you know, Sav says it's one that promised to help us achieve our goal, which was at the time just to make music we were proud of on a professional level. We were 18 years old when we signed the contract, right? Uh, but that she said that the balance of power again was off. One producer protected our right to creative choice, and the other producer used his clout in the industry as a weapon to hold us hostage in a situation that wasn't healthy. It didn't take long for us to realize we were pawns for his ego. It took one year, a negotiator, two lawyers, and thousands of dollars to disengage from that situation. Well, you know, that's it's tragic that they had to go through that, but they are so much smarter now. Then. Yes, I mean they were eighteen, well, and regardless of yeah. gender, um, you're eighteen, and they are uh, mature and knowledgeable beyond their years, even in their in their mid twenties. But I, I'm glad that this article, well, Sav wrote the the piece, but I'm, I'm glad that she wrote it. Um, I think that it gives us a moment to kind of talk about, you know, things like racism and homophobia and sexism in the music industry. Um, because there are, I mean, this shouldn't exist in any industry, but the music industry should be the leader in, in fairness and equality. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Well, great piece, really worth, word, uh, worth, worth reading and checking out. And, and that's a great band, yeah, <laughs> you know, and not only are they great musicians, great songwriters, it's a really well-written article too, <laughs> you know, and we all know that. Oftentimes, those things don't don't go with some artists that, yeah. that they they're extremely skilled in one area, but not others. But I, I've not seen anything that she's not skilled in at this point. Very well written article, super great, and worth definitely worth checking out. So, this next one, Jay, very interesting. This is from Digital Music News is the is the music industry wasting money on viral artists? People are signing these artists, and they're screeching to a red light. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is, is such kind a of, great piece. This is. This is the 21st version, 21st century version of 
kind of things that have been going on in the music business forever, right? Where that it's you're signing somebody because they're they're successful at something else, thinking that will translate to music, won't it? Well, it. I mean, sometimes it does, not super often, but this kind of is. They refer to this previous article and let me just back up a little bit this was written by paul resnikoff over at digital music news Mm -hmm. um paul's been doing this for a long time yeah and yeah and uh you know probably one of the first in the space and uh so he there was an article that came out in february um and the headline was big machine scott borchetta my last three hires for our label are people who are working tiktok and some people saw that as Scott saying that this is a good thing and this is where we need to be. But he's been kind of a skeptic. Um, and it's it's really not about who he's hiring. It's who he, he isn't hiring. Uh, after hearing urgent pitches from big machine staffers to sign TikTok artists who were blowing up, Borchetta said that he let them uh, get signed elsewhere. Quote, not any of those that got signed to big deals have worked, unquote. Uh, not one of them, not yet. I'm not saying it won't, but none of them yet. So that's the the article that they were kind of referring to um, in this article um, talks about TikTok can be really powerful, but what we're learning is some of these uh, A&R guys might be getting a little bit lazy and just looking at the data and looking at a spike in streaming or TikTok and signing someone who's never played a live show, never played an instrument outside of their laptop, you know, we've seen this time and time again. Wait a minute, Jay. Did you just say that an A&R person was getting lazy? You take that back. Gosh, oof, knocked me over with a feather. I have not uh, heard of such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Um, yeah. Well, you know, listen, and and I and. And we know that if you're an A&R guy, you're getting pressure oftentimes from people well above you um, because we've seen very senior executives, um, you know, just kind of kind of saying it's the we want a viral video uh, syndrome, right. which is as if you can. Yeah. Oh, oh, you do. Oh, I, I didn't know that you wanted that. Let me let me open up my my box of tricks here and we'll just create a viral video. So so I think lots of very up people at the very top are also kind of saying, why aren't we signing these TikTok superstars? And so you're, if you're an A&R person, you're going to be under pressure, likely, by that sort of right. notion from folks. So, so you can understand why it's happening, or I totally understand why right. it's happening. We've been in those rooms when, when conversations like this have come up. Yeah, one of the most obvious ones that comes to mind is when someone's successful doing a certain style or mood or genre, you can see the A&R. And look, we know some really great A&R people. We don't want, we don't want to paint them all with a one stroke. But there are those that are lazy that, oh, well, I want to sign something that sounds like Billie Eilish, the way that she sings. And so Billie Eilish becomes popular, and then you can just see these other artists coming. Yeah. Um, and what, what was interesting to me in this piece... <clears throat> is that a longtime Disney music uh, group, uh, A&R executive, uh, I think it's Mayo Vukovic, if I'm pronouncing yeah, that right. I think so, yeah. Um, he said that there are so many moments in which my staff will come to me and say, this person's having incredible streaming spike. Then I'll meet the artist and I'll hear the other songs and think, what happens next? After this wave is done, none of the other material comes close. You know, according to Vukovic, the current process for signing artists has shifted dramatically over the past 
a few decades. And the current process often overlooks critical aspects related to long-term sustainability. In the past, you had artists who were getting signed regionally because they were the biggest things in their city. They had Proof of Concept, Jane's Addiction, Guns N' Roses. They were the biggest bands in L.A. They were selling out multiple nights, and they were unsigned acts. They had been refining their songs and their talent for years. They'd played hundreds of shows, and then they got signed. Contrast that to today, when an artist is blowing up on TikTok, triggers a major label bidding war. That shift alone offers one possible explanation why catalog artists are dramatically outstreaming new contemporary acts. Yeah, and 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 then he further deconstructed viral by pointing out that that the sources of a viral surge are often unclear. He said that's a critical problem, especially given the difficulty of determining if there's any there there. (laughs) You don't know where it's from. He said Spotify supports a lot of independent acts and shows the power that they have through playlisting. People get a shot. But you really have to vet them out and see for yourself and see if this is real. Does it speak to me? Does it feel like a real artist? Is this somebody that can draw people and sell tickets? You have to see that they have that culture of people wanting to to sign up for their world instead of just that moment. And this is really a version of, you know, even going back to to the to our day and and the days before us which is you know people that don't know the industry are saying well don't you want to have like a big top 40 hit well no you don't necessarily when it comes to artist development you want it you want you don't want people to fall in love with the song you want people to fall in love with the artist and and that takes a much longer period of time yeah. and that's you know these are critical artist development struggles that that we've often dealt with when we're at labels which is the push uh, often from the top to to jump onto trends and to get immediate success, immediate success. And we all know that that is the last thing sometimes that is um, that is appropriate for long-term artist yeah. development. And you just hit it, artist development. When you sign someone for you know, a, a quick hit, a quick song. And and we saw this, you know, with a couple of our artists that had songs that got major sync placement, and then all of a sudden that blew up, and they're getting these offers that don't really make sense. Um, mm-hmm. But it's about market share in some of this. And we had a, an A&R uh, executive on the Music Biz Weekly podcast a while back, and this is pre-COVID, and we asked him, look, with all this data that you can get now, um, how how are you signing new artists? And he said the same way I always have. I look for a lineup around the block to see him play. And yeah. I think there's some honesty to that. And I think that you can find artists by, you know, those, those time-tested uh, ways of, like, looking at local radio stations and looking for their play, uh, the playlist at those stations where there's a local artist that's unsigned that's maybe starting to blow up, you know, having those relationships with these markets mm-hmm. and their radio. So if they hear about something that's, you know, gaining traction, I think that's that's all legit. I think if you're just looking at data, and you're signing some of these, you know, TikTok stars or someone who's blowing up on a platform. To to these uh, points that Vukovic makes, you know, you have to look at well, why is that happening, you know, and is it a moment in time with a crazy dance craze video that's, or, you know, is this someone who's going to be uh, around for a while? And the last thing I'll say on it really quickly is that I've worked with a couple of artists 
that had some success, one through one of those talent search type shows, and then the other one through TikTok, and they ended up deciding they don't want to be in this business. You know, they, they were doing it. They were having fun with socials. They were f- having fun, you know, competing. But when it comes right down to it, um, it's the music business. And it's, right. it's not for everyone. It is not. And let's not forget, and this is pointed out, you know, I said the, the catalog artists are dramatically outstreaming contemporary acts. And, you know, you look at those catalog artists and somebody put a lot of time and effort underlying time to develop those artists. And I, you know, I always think back to uh, one of the biggest selling albums of all time is Pink Floyd, The Dark Side of the Moon. And that was either their sixth or seventh album. And so that was EMI internationally cap or um, capital here. And they stuck with, you know, the, the first Pink Floyd albums. And don't forget the Sid Barrett, who was the singer and the front person of, of Pink Floyd and the kind of the pinup guy, he, he left after the first album. And that in, in, in today's climate, they would have been dropped. But they stuck with them and they grew that band. And it ended up being, of course, wildly successful. And people still are looking at the, the huge streams of Pink Floyd. That almost would never happen today. No. An artist would never get to the third album, no. to the fifth album, to the seventh album without immediate success. That's and right. Look, but look what look what can happen. Yeah. All, and so yeah, all my favorite artists growing up, you know, when I was in high school, they were all bands like you just described. Like Queen didn't hit on their first album. Cheap Trick. Mm-mm. You know, a lot of these artists. You know, Billy Joel. They Elton John. They didn't hit right away. It was artist development. People think that these deals that they're offering now where, where they'll sign someone to a record deal, which is maybe three tracks, not an EP, not an album, three mm-hmm. tracks or something yeah. to that. But those have been around for a while. Um, I remember talking to Travis Tritt. His first deal um, was for three singles back wow. in the day. Now, yeah. I believe all of them went to number one, if I'm not mistaken. So he knocked it out of the park, and now he's got a career. But... Most people aren't going to hit that big, you know, when they're first starting out. To your point, it's really artist development. You get better at your craft. You get better. That's why when they talk about, you know, Jane's Addiction or Guns N' Roses, you know, that overnight success took, you know, five, ten years. Right, right, right. But I think there's always been pressure in in the business uh, for immediate success you know let, let's be and it can happen it occasionally happens you know billy eilish you, you, that's that's one that i would point to in terms of kind of such an organic process with with which she she blew up yeah but that's just not the norm no it really it, isn't yeah i mean it does happen yeah uh, sure. even scott borchetta in, in this other piece said you know i'm not including you know fancy like the song fancy like you know that was a huge moment for walker hayes and god bless him he's been doing this a long time everyone's very excited about that but he had been working on that Uh, i'm talking about a brand new artist who got a big record deal because of you know one tiktok moment so yes uh there some of these you know twitch tiktok even you know youtube um they can um really help launch an artist but you know one tiktok moment does not a career make right but but really interesting article and something worth thinking about and acknowledging that that's 
that has always been and will continue to be a component of our business, which is let's look for that that smash right out of the gate. And listen, who doesn't want that? But again, we, we all are looking at the same data. When you look at what are the biggest streaming artists, it's yeah. typically catalog artists that somebody spent a lot of time developing. You know, my one of my favorite lines uh, from Todd Snyder, I'm a huge uh, Todd Snyder fan, um, he... He has so many great lines, but one of them is, everybody wants the most they can possibly get for the least they can possibly do. And that's from the that's song right. Easy Money. And it is is as true today as it was you know, 50 years ago. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Well, let's jump over to the last article, Jay, we're going to talk about. It is really interesting. Oh, yeah, yo, yeah, yo. And yeah. We've, we've covered parts of this story other times. Uh, it's from Music Business Worldwide. And... Boy, they, they do fantastic work, to say the least. It's yeah. by Murray Stassen, and Murray Stassen does a lot of interesting things in articles we've talked about. Yeah. But this is about um, these fake artists, and it's, God, it's just so mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, and this this is somebody, uh, but we're, it, it starts talking about mood music, yeah. and this is really, you know, to, to kind of frame the article, it you should almost we should almost start start talking about how streaming has kind of changed the list the way people listen to music yeah. in terms of this passive listening. You know, there's always been that element, but streaming makes passive listening as opposed to active listening so much easier. Yeah. I just want to come home. I want to put something on. I don't really care what that something is, but I just want to. I want to. I want to. I want a mood. I want. I want something that is not necessarily active listening where I want yeah. to sit down and really yeah. get into the music. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, a, that's, yeah. that's a different thing than it was in generations past. Yeah, I read something um, a while back that for these smart speakers that shall not be named because I'm surrounded by all of them, um, one of them from Amazon, um, the number one search term uh, for music prior to the pandemic uh, was chill. And they talk about that in this article. Yeah. And then it was replaced yes, uh, with, uh, I think, children's music was uh, more popular after that. But what we're talking about right now is based on two articles from Music Business Worldwide. Um, the first one, was the headline was, Remember Spotify's Fake Artists? They're Still Going Strong and Still Attracting Scandal. And that was interesting. But what was really interesting, and the one that you and I are going to talk about, is... A music business worldwide reader just blew open the Spotify fake artist story. Here's what they have to say. And I think because this person, you can tell they're a music industry insider just from the insights and the data that they yes. have. And I'm, I'm just so glad that they they wrote to uh, music business worldwide um, yeah, and it's worth it's worth just reading his first. Uh, I, I don't, I, again, I don't know if it's a he or a she, but it says thanks to MBW uh, for for your commitment to covering the music industry and trying to dig out stories where others fail. I have a pretty extensive background in the music business, working for both rights holders and retailers. For the fear of losing my job, I need to remain anonymous. Feel free to disregard any of my comments for that reason alone. But he wants to provide, or he or she wants to provide some context to your article on Spotify's fake artists. So yeah. this is somebody, like you said, clearly who knows. they asking for anonymity. And as you read into the article, <laughs> you can totally see why they prefaced it with that. But yeah. 
Ooh, it gets pretty interesting. Yeah. So I can I continue. Well, I, I no, that's that's perfect. Sidetracked. No, that. that's exactly what I wanted to uh, point to, and and just so you know, our listeners know, um, there's a reason why um, labels, distributors, and especially DSPs are somewhat involved in these uh, fake artists. It's because, especially when it comes to what we call chill music, you know, just, you know, you've worked all day, you come home, you just want to relax, you just want to decompress. It's really popular. So they're, they're creating music for this. A lot of times it's instrumental. Um, we used to call it, you know, back in the uh, 80s and 90s, we called it new age music, but it's just mm-hmm. really nice, you know, relaxing music. And it's funny because the person who wrote this piece did a little bit of the research on some of these some of these articles, or I'm sorry, some of these artists, um, they say long before Music Biz Business Worldwide's first article about fake artists back in 2016, there was already a huge growth trend in people listening to mostly instrumental, quote unquote, mood music. Even Sony and Universal Music created playlists for these types of use cases under their Digster and Filter brands. And if you don't know what Digster and Filter are, each of the majors uh, own their own kind of playlisting brands. And and these are, Digster and Filter are two of them. Um, so long before Spotify ever did. In fact, many majors started releasing music by fake artists in the early 2010s and have continued to do so. For example, check out these artists that are all Sony-owned and completely generic artist names, which all come from the source filter. There's, I think it's, is it, I can't even read that word. Is that human? I think it's Humlin Doji. Homeland. yeah, I don't know. That's easy for you to say. Yeah. And there's Baby (laughs) Bears, MySan, and Vagvisor. And and they go on to talk about Baby Bears a a little bit. But it's not just Sony. It's like all the major groups, music groups. Um, For example, Warner's X5 group. And, of course, thousands of mostly low-quality Indian DIY labels. And they show some examples here of these artists. And they talk about how, you know, you look up these artists and you find that they don't have socials or they don't have any kind of footprint online or they'll use kind of these generic names of who the composers are. And typically, uh, a lot of this stuff is this uh, chill music, this kind of new agey kind of music. But I've also read stories about other genres like EDM um, where they're doing this. Well, and, and, you know, it's worth noting, too, there, there's also, there has always been sort of a, a tangential business to a lot of music companies where they create um, kind of a, a sort of catalog music where it's just kind of short clips where they pay very little money for it. I, uh, there used to be a company called Killer Tracks that was in Hollywood that got acquired, I think, by BMG. It's now, that catalog is sort of in the Universal family now. And a friend of mine named Carl Peel, who's at Universal, started in that business where they would basically, they had a, a kind of a stable of songwriters. And they would uh, they would pay them like, not a ton of money, but they would kind of crank out just sort of generic music things that were used for inexpensive things in film and television and all just kind of utility purposes for for little short things of music. So there is this kind of 
industry where song it's not like songwriting like you and I think of for major artists. Right. It's sort of songwriting that's just very generic, and, yeah. they, and they basically sell their rights for a very small, relatively small amount of money. Right. It's, it's, it's not kind a of work for hire, business. right? I mean, exactly. There is that's a, exactly what it I is. know a group of musicians that basically are on call for when someone calls for film TV placement and they say, I need 13 seconds that sounds like the ventures and they record the stuff and they get it over and it's work for hire. And they're not trying to pull one over on anyone. They just either, they don't have the budget for that particular film to license, you know, the real deal. And they want something that sort of sounds like that. And then there are some things that I, I find really interesting. Like there's a couple of sync licensing placement uh, teams that I know that have their own recording studio and their own writers on staff. And what they'll do yes. is, yeah, they'll look for placement for their stable of labels that they're working. But also, uh, concurrently with that, they're recording songs that are quote unquote syncable. And mm-hmm. you, once in a while, they will place those because they get all of that revenue. And in another area of that, which we talked about last week, is like, like re-records, how if oh, yeah. you re-record, whether you're Taylor Swift or the rock band Kiss, and you you re-record those, now you are controlling the master. And remember, these sync licenses are negotiated, so that's more money. But I'm digressing a little bit in that I think what you and I are talking about when musicians record things for hire for certain projects... That's that's pretty above board, I think. Whereas I think yes. when you're when you're competing with artists, if you're a DSP and you're hiring, you know, for hire uh, musicians to compete with music that is coming up from labels, um, I, that sounds a little sketchy to me. Totally, totally, it, it is different. But it, I. I you know, it's kind of that ecosystem kind of has already exist. This is kind of that on adding steroids and deception, <laughs> sort of. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of. But again, and now they're sort of creating names around these. But you can see how you know. First of all, they're not real artists. It's you know, it's it's something that they control. The process that that a major label or a, an indie label can control. Um, and it's just sort of put together and then promoted. And again, it's 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 maybe it's not a ton of money at first, but it starts to really add up, and it plays into this kind of changing ways that that streaming has brought forth in terms of our the way we listen to music or the yeah. way lots of people listen to music. Yeah, and the way that people are trying to game the system. We've all read articles yes. about people who have either used bots or spin farms to jack up numbers. Or they have somebody in their back pocket at, at one of the DSPs that'll help push their music to certain playlists to generate a, a lot of streams. You know, anytime that you're judged on a number like a stream count or a follower count, you know, I think for some people that's just too enticing to try to game that number if that's what you're being judged by. So if I'm in a band and we need big numbers to get into that festival to play that festival we want to play you know i think that just makes it um something that people want to do uh to achieve a goal from it says in this article most of these works are quote-unquote work for hire where the label is paid a small one-time fee for the recordings and then collects the full royalty 
But there are also examples where people behind the pseudonyms are paid, you know, a low royalty rate. He talks about right. indies. So it's not just the majors. You know, it says while majors are invested in the space, there are many extremely profitable and more successful independent companies doing the same. Some obvious examples are Strange Fruits and Loud Cult. These players have figured out how to game search on platforms like Spotify, but also YouTube, by creating cleverly named playlists and channels and promoting them on social media, for example. Their content also features mostly instrumental music by producers and writers releasing under lots of pseudonyms. So, you know, this is, it's rampant. And if you are uh, a musician that just happens to maybe be a jazz or adult or new age or chill kind of artist, you're getting screwed by all of this that's happening. Right. And in that same kind of paragraph, he, he said, the main difference is that they usually combine multiple artist pseudonyms and release hundreds of songs on each profile because this is another way to generate bulk streams via the streaming services algorithms. Strange Fruit, that label that you mentioned, for example, use combinations of their artists, in quotation marks, mm. uh, Lo-Fi Fruits Music and Chill Fruits Music with a third artist pseudonym because this generates streaming activity not only via search, but also algorithmic programming like Release Radar and Daily Mix on Spotify. The songwriters and producers of these tracks are either paid a fixed fee per track or a combination of a low advance and reduced royalty rate. And it works because these labels, in quotation marks, can guarantee millions of streams through their own network of search engine optimized DSP playlists and YouTube channels. Yeah. So it's a really interesting ecosystem that has been created. And, you know, I've, as you said, it's not really real. These are, I mean, these are, you know, these are artists. Yes, some human made these, but not artists in the sense that historically we've referred to in the business as people that, that are, it's just different. Yeah. This is a different thing. And, but like you said also, it's, but it's very deceiving. Yeah. And it's not above board. It, it may be a, it's a not real artist who's uh, under a lot of different names, creating some of this, uh, for these DSPs. Um, but, you know, as we mentioned, the, the majors own their own playlist networks, as well as a lot mm -hmm. of them own a piece of DSPs like Deezer and, and uh, Spotify. Um, they, they talk about DSPs a little bit that clearly, you know, they have an incentive to clear up poor quality, you know, SEO fake stream generated content that has been driven by click farms and other fraudulent activity for years. So they, they do have, you know, incentive to clean that up. But inevitably, it also gives DSPs leverage because they control what people listen to. Rights holders will be more dependent on them. Certainly, licensing negotiations in 2022 would be very different if major labels were still the main playlist influencers on platforms like, like Spotify. Clearly, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Deezer, Angami, and YouTube feel it's important enough to have their own playlists and channels for things like sleep, lo-fi beats, relaxing piano, because as it turns out, a lot of people love to listen to this music. And just as with rap, pop, DSPs feel they know best in terms of which music should be featured in official playlists or radio stations. Yeah. <laughs> as I'm reading this, oh gosh, you know, I don't want to sound like the old guy in the room, and maybe it's too late, but um, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, there's so many positive things have happened because of streaming. Um, and we talk about negative things that have also happened. But this is sort of a, a again, and, you know, where there's opportunity, there will be people rushing in to, to exploit 
said opportunity. And this is really, is this illegal? No. But is it is it deceitful? It kind of is, or it really is. Yeah, um, don't you think there should be some type of transparency here only to the extent that uh, some kind of disclaimer that just says this is the real artist, you know, this is one of ours is a work for hire. This isn't one that, uh, you know, Sony or Universal released. This is one that we created. Um, I would love to see some transparency surrounding that. You know, I don't know, you know, who would care outside of... <laughs> and, and yes, yeah. you and me. Um, yeah, or, or people that that are super invested in music. Again, for the people that come home and, and click sleep or lo-fi beats or relaxing piano, that's that's all they want. That's they want to be relaxed. Yeah, they don't want to spend time getting into the artist like you and I would. Right. They just want to be relaxed. So no harm no foul unless uh, unless you're a, a label that's producing that type of music or just in general um that that piece of the pie that uh, monthly you know uh, group of streams is not really accurate um the, the person who wrote this to music business worldwide said make no mistake all dsps are engaging in this activity Spotify yeah. is taking more heat because they're the largest and most transparent, whereas Apple, Amazon, Deezer, and Tencent make it more difficult for journalists like yourself to see what is actually happening since there are no stream counts, writer, or even label credits. And I hadn't thought of that before. That's super interesting. Mm -hmm. So Spotify yeah. is kind of taking the heat because you can see all that information uh, listed right there. If they didn't list it, there's no way you would even know who, who was doing that. No. And, you know, in, in our early days of the recorded music, when you talked about the difference between recorded music and publishing, <clears throat> the, I heard the phrase, the publishing business is a business of pennies. Not in a negative way, but in terms of it just, it's, it's like mailbox money. It's just pennies here, pennies there. And suddenly everything really adds up. And I keep thinking of that phrase when I read this article that, you know, we all know how much you get in a stream. It's, it's not very much. Right. But boy, when you start talking, when, when you, you can see the incentive for everybody in the value chain to participate in something like this because it's pennies. And, and as, as listening habits change, and or 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 emerge in terms of like, listen, I don't want to listen to music. It it actually harkens back to uh, Brian Eno made a record, oh, in the early to mid seventies called "Music for Airports," and and it was it was this very thing. It was it was a pass. It was meant to be a passive listening experience, and that was so prescient in the even in the day it was recognized as as wow, this is this is interesting. Um, but that's kind of where we are now. There is a huge pro proportion of people listening to streaming services that don't want to listen actively. They want to listen passively. Yeah. And, and that's, that's something that we as, as industry people need to contend with, that there is an entire population of people that don't care about liner notes, that don't care about anything. They just want to be in a mood yeah. and have that going on in the background. Right. Yeah. And they, they, you're absolutely right. They don't want to spend the time doing that. And that's fine. Not everybody listens to music the same way. It's why radio is so popular uh, even still. But I can't help but wonder what's next. So could it be children's music that they hire writers Ooh, yeah. to, because children's music is huge. Could it be, you know, um, other types of music, like maybe EDM, you know, where uh, 
you've got people like Blau and Dead Mouse and David Guetta and people who um, they can create an album on their laptop, right? Um, they don't yeah. necessarily need uh, an oboe or a piano uh, to do what they're doing with stems and beats. And um, could there be other genres or moods that the um, that these DSPs could start creating that too? And if that happens, um, I don't think that's necessarily wrong as long as people are aware of it and that you know because they're they're basically competing with their you know with the rights holders with these major labels right right exactly and and this kind of harkens back to an article we've talked about several episodes back where you know you've got this sort of things that are happening this kind of ai music generation and right you know so when you factor in that stuff and boy, so a Spotify or a Deezer or somebody can just at some point now or in the near future, just say, I want to create all of these things with just this program. I'm not paying anybody out, any rights holders out. And that's right. That's kind of a scary concept. Yeah. For those that don't know, Mike just mentioned AI, that's just artificial intelligence. And there are these applications now that are creating songs based on artificial intelligence. And um, I have heard and I've read that they've come a long way. They haven't written uh, a number one hit yet, but I think the day is coming where AI, you know, it's looking at, you know, how a song is constructed, how, you know, the beats per minute and the, the key that it's in and the changes. Eventually, you know, like a lot of things, like the computer that beats the chess master at chess, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, could there be uh, an AI, you know, like a, a Pro Tools type thing that creates hit songs? Yeah, it's it's sort of here and it's there's going to be more and more of that. Wow. And it is, you know, as as people, you and I that, that grew up listening to music learning to play music um it's 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 really hard to swallow sometimes yeah <laughs> it's, it's really sad and depressing for, to be a, but if you're a, of our generation that are just coming of our kids generation i should say they're just coming up maybe it doesn't bother them because that's just it's what you what you learn and know now as you're as you're coming up um but boy it is this entire article is really thought-provoking in that you know it, again it shows the the it shows just how streaming has completely upended the business yeah. and things that we, or at least I never considered, uh, the uh, are now things that we're talking about. And yeah. this sort of fake artist mood music, it's it's all because it's all part of the 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 universe of streaming music and yeah. how it's changed our business yeah. just exponentially. I, I hope that the person who wrote this piece. Uh, will reach out to us. I would love to talk to you, and I will uh, respect your anonymity. Um, uh, this person ends this piece by saying that major labels have an inclination to give away their content for free if they believe they can grow their market share and naively believe they will benefit because, of course, in the end, the real winner is the DSP, who don't care uh, who ends up with more market share as long as their royalty rates are moving down. And this yep. that's the bottom line here is a lot of the, these shenanigans are moving that uh, overall royalty rate down to make the DSPs more profitable. 
Yeah, yeah. And earlier in the article, the the anonymous writer mentioned that, you know, there are real people doing this, obviously, right. and you can't really fault them because they're just trying to make a living in music any way they can. Yeah. But that whole thing is, that last paragraph really synthesizes what what is the reality, which is what are the DSP's interests, their business interests? What are the major labels' business interests? And how do they each achieve that goal? And what happens in the middle to the artists and the content creators and the people that are doing this out of love and passion and talent. That's it. Yeah. So really interesting reading and uh, not unlike other articles we've talked about, a bit depressing, right? But yeah. but you have to have wi- eyes wide open and see what's going on. And this was, boy, it was super insightful. And yeah. like you said, whoever wrote that article, thank you. And feel free to reach out anonymously, of course, because there's so much to learn and Absolutely. But Jay, you need to get on an airplane, my friend. I do. I'm going to go get on an airplane, but it's always a pleasure seeing you, talking to you, sharing some uh, morning coffee with you. Absolutely. uh, uh, Another great conversation. Yeah, exactly. And and of course, thank you everyone for listening. And Jay and I do not take that for granted. We certainly appreciate it and, and your constant support. And we get a lot of emails and comments that we also really appreciate. So big thanks to the Music Business Association, Hypebot and Bands in Town. Of course, we certainly appreciate that. And if you'd be so kind, please hit that subscribe button and send us more comments because Jay and I really appreciate it. And it's fun to read people's other people's insights. And uh, we have Sir. lots of super smart people that listen to us and we are super thankful for that so on behalf of my good friend jay gilbert thanks so much for listening in today to episode number 86 and next week we'll be back with not surprisingly episode number 87 so have a fabulous week everyone and we'll be back on the your morning coffee podcast you've been listening to your morning coffee the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.